everybody, and welcome to another edition of PTSM Network Classics. As we roll along, and uh, once again, going to do another one of our favorite episodes of Raw. Yeah, that's the way it uh, should be said forever, because Vince McMahon tells you so. It is Raw. I, I, I never understood how he didn't lose his voice more often. But, uh, you know, some people have that ability, and Vince, man, he could do that gravel forever. I mean, he just, I would have, my voice would have been destroyed. Anyway, uh, I digress here. We are going to uh, go through this episode coming up. Yeah, you guys know how it works, so go ahead and start getting tuned up for it. I will remind you once again before we actually roll. But you want to go to the WWE Network and uh, go to Raw and get it all set. Uh, this is a really interesting episode uh, for a number of reasons. As uh, we say uh, and have said many times, early on, uh, Raw was kind of this uh, fluid, free-flowing, what are we going to do this week? And uh, as you know, the announced team, if you recall, was Vince McMahon, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, who had been transitioning out of the ring. Uh, Vince felt it was time to uh, start going with the younger blood, but of course he loved Randy and what Randy could do outside of the ring, and also he was uh, tremendous for filling in for people when they would go down, and that happened a lot. Uh, he was actually uh, trying to get Randy to move to Stanford, of all places, because, uh, you know, most of the boys, uh, and uh, that also included people like uh, B- uh, Bobby Heenan and uh, and uh, Gene Okerlund, uh, they didn't live in Stanford, even though they worked uh, quite a bit and were at TVs and everything. Uh, but uh, they lived down in Florida, and they weren't going anywhere. And I remember that Gene would come up every three weeks and do his stuff, and Bobby too. But uh, uh, there was rumors, you know, uh, uh, thoughts of having Randy join the booking team. And uh, so that never really transpired. But there was this whole plan to have Randy move to Stanford, Connecticut, and uh, really become uh, ensconced in the the WWE management team there. Uh, But as we know, as history uh, will tell us, uh, that didn't happen. But at this time, this point in time, he's, uh, you know, uh, doing uh, commentary. And then, of course, they're joined by Rob Bartlett, who uh, Vince had brought in with really no uh, background in professional wrestling. But Vince thought he was uh, very funny and and amusing and had uh, listened to him on the radio uh, as you know, Rob Bartlett was part of, because uh, I've mentioned it before if you've been listening, or maybe you knew anyway, but Rob Bartlett was part of the Don Imus show, which was very popular on uh, not only just cable, but, um, you know, of course, radio. And uh, Vince really liked him and thought he would be a great addition because he kind of liked the idea that he would come in without this, uh, you know, wrestling background and be able to kind of look at it from this humorous point as an observer. Well, <clears throat> As we've discussed, so we had uh, Rob on the show. Uh, that formula didn't work out very well. And uh, you've heard me also say it. I, th- I think, uh, I thought, and I still think to this day, Rob Bartlett is a really uh, talented comedian and a very, very talented person. He's also a great actor. He's still, uh, you know, acting in uh, some, uh, you know, network television shows and also uh, another series on, you know, cable. Um, and, but it just wasn't a good fit. It was really, it just wasn't. It was just kind of cringeworthy every week. And you could just feel, you could just feel it for both, on both parts. You know, for Rob uh, going through it, and, and Lord knows he gave it his best. He gave it everything he had to 
try and make it work. And Vince as well. And even Randy uh, helped him, tried to help him out here and there. And, and uh, Rob said that he, you know, he became pretty good friends with Randy during this whole process. But these are the early episodes, remember. We're about seven episodes into Monday Night Raw at this point. And this episode uh, taking place, or hitting the air anyway, March 1st, 1993. And it was a live episode, so that's when it happened. And you'll see they have right up on the screen, live from the Manhattan Center in NYC, New York City. But uh, for some unknown reason, and I went back and tried to figure out what was going on at the time, Rob Bartlett is dressed as Elvis. Yeah, he's dressed as Elvis for this show with everything, the whole uh, gimmick. And it's not near Halloween. This is, It's March. Uh, other than the fact that, uh, you know, Rob did a lot of impersonations. You know, he, uh, he, he, he was very, very good at a lot of them. And Elvis was one of his shtick, uh, shticks that he did. He would do this uh, impersonation of Elvis. And for some reason, they thought it was a good idea to have him on as Elvis for this episode. And also it's kind of strange as they start this thing, it's just basically right into it. They, they start with uh, Brett the Hitman Hart heading, towards, heading for the ring. That's they, you know, remember, you know, we've seen other episodes going into this where they would have what we call a cold open. They'd have some kind of uh, vignette going on, some, some kind of situation happening. For example, you know, like as we started the, with the first episode and it was Bobby Heenan trying to get into the Manhattan Center, and we would, you know, go on with that, or they would, uh, you know, have uh, Repo Man doing something. So, but this, they go right into the action, and right to the start of the match, which I thought was kind of strange, because if you're going to have Rob Bartlett dressed up as Elvis, he's in a costume, I mean, at least you should have had him on camera, but you don't, you just hear him talking like Elvis, and Vince introducing him as Elvis, not Rob Bartlett, and so you have to wait a few minutes until they actually uh, come on camera. So it's kind of bizarre. But that's how they started this thing. Um, and you'll see in this matchup, the, the first one is featuring Brett the Hitman Hart, um, who was at this time the WWF champion, as he faces Fatu. And Afa, if you remember, Afa and Sika, who were, uh, you know, uh, pretty well known. They had a run in the, the WWF at the time as the Wild Samoans prior to this, uh, is at ringside. And that's a whole story in itself, that uh, whole uh, family. I mean, really, when a, you break it all down, uh, you know, that uh, the Samoans and the Tongans and, you know, uh, a pretty uh, small population of people when you consider the world and uh, on these islands. And really, you don't mistake the two because, uh, you know, you don't mistake somebody who's uh, and call them a Samoan if they're a Tongan and vice versa, because uh, you know at, at points uh, these people wanted to kill each other during points of history, and uh, and uh, real royalty. These guys were all part of all this, and but the families were were connected, and whether or not it was through blood or or friendship through the islands or whatever, they uh, were very tight, and um, you know Afa was trained through the, uh, you know, Rocky Johnson family, um, the Rocks family. I mean, they they were uh, close friends, and that's when Afa and Sika and all of them got into the business. And so there was that connection there. But uh, great history of, of uh, Polynesian wrestlers in the history of, of not just the WWF, WWE, but also in the world of professional wrestling. 
and, and just tremendous athletes, uh, impervious to pain. You know, I played, uh, I played rugby for a number of years in college. And, uh, I remember when we would play, uh, you know, a lot of the teams that would have, uh, Polynesians on the team, man, it, you knew you were in for one hell of a match because they were just so damn tough and so damn strong. And, and, uh, you know, whatever sport uh, that they are involved in football, you know, uh, any kind of contact sport, uh, just tremendous athletes. And, um, and they were great at, at, you know, entertainers as well, as we've seen throughout the history of, uh, of wrestling. But anyway, getting back to this matchup, it's uh, Fatu who's taking on Brett the Hitman Hart and uh, for the WWF Championship. It's a title defense. And this match goes on for a while. This is, you know, they deliver. Uh, we've talked before about, you know, these other shows such as, uh, you know, uh, Challenge or Superstars. Those are basic promotional tools, the uh, programs. And um, so you would see a lot of squash matches. Uh, Raw was kind of a different animal where they started, they knew that, you know, to retain the audience and get a big audience, they they had to give them more than just, uh, you know, a big squash match and you got to see the superstar. So this is, uh, you know, an example of them really delivering Bret the Hitman Hart facing Fatu and the actual uh, championships on the line. And this match goes for about 15 minutes. So it's a a good one. Also, uh, fun to see here, um, Doink. Doink the Clown, and remember when this is, this is, this is in 93, so you have the original Doink, Matt Bourne, who was the best, uh, you know, anybody who played it after that, and really not to take uh, a, a lot away from them, I mean, uh, that, you know, Steve Kern was uh, somebody who actually played the character, and uh, you saw, you know, even Steve Lombardi uh, was the was Doink here and there, and Ray Apollo, and, you know, all the other people down the line. But really, it was uh, Matt Bourne was was doing, and he just captured it. And it wasn't just what he did outside of the ring and his nasty, uh, you know, pranks that he played on people. And he just you just believed it. I mean, he was just this asshole, you know, just this nasty guy. And he backed it up in the ring too, uh, pretty devastating in the ring. And not you know, not to say these other guys didn't do a good job, but once you know, he owned it. He owned uh, Doink. And it's uh, it's unfortunate that it didn't last. Of course, he had his his issues, and uh, eventually forced him out of the WWE. But uh, really, when you look back, though, man, uh, and I, and I think that you, you can imagine when they came up with these uh, with you know this we're going to do a, a, a an evil clown gimmick. I mean, that wasn't a big stretch. Like, wow, where'd you come up with that? It's kind of a natural thing because a lot of people you know hate clowns or have an issue with clowns or you know, and it's. Uh, a lot of people, they're, they're creepy and scary. Uh, besides, some people think they're fun and, you know, the circus, whatever. But it, it's a, you know, like a natural. But you have to have the right person to pull it off, right? You do. I mean, it can't just be anybody because, uh, as we saw, other people trying to fulfill, trying to fill in on that role, and it, it just didn't work. It wasn't, it, slow, it died a, a slow, very slow death. But, uh, you know, without Matt Bourne behind the makeup there, it, it just was never the same. And that, that is you know, certainly the way it was for me because uh, he, was, he was just so great. Just so great. And um, quick story, and I think I've told it before, but it, it bears uh, worth repeating because it's such a great story. Um, you know, they used to send uh, Bourne out into the crowd. 
And, uh, you know, he would mess with the crowd, do this kind of before he'd have a match, you know, and and they might uh, have him, you know, they might show shots of him, you know, going around and just playing pranks on people, you know, spraying water into their faces with a little flower or, you know, going with a bucket in the, in the confetti and that kind of thing. So they had him out, uh, 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 out in the crowd at, at one of these events and Rene Goulet was the, uh, was one of the back, uh, stage agents. And when these guys would go out, um, they'd send an agent with them, just, uh, you know, maybe some security to make sure it didn't get crazy. And so, uh, Renee's out there in the crowd with them. And, uh, the, uh, uh, Doink is messing with a bunch of these little kids. Well, these kids rush him <laughs> and like attack him and, you know, just the, here he's, you know, fun or whatever, but they, they, they jump on Doink and, uh, he goes down and, uh, and the, the the famous story of this is that you know they all had they had their radios, and uh, you would everybody would heard over the radio when this happened as they went in to kind of break it up. There wasn't any danger involved, but it's just the fact that you know these kids all got on Doink and knocked him down. And you you heard over the radio Rene Goulet, who had the, the Canadian French accent uh, saying, "The clown is down. The clown is down." <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like one of the I've been hearing that over the radio, and uh, people just you know just fell down. It was just so so damn funny. But uh, uh, that's that's one of the stories from from Doink. Uh, I, he wasn't hurt. No children suffered any injuries. But it was just a great story. And uh, anyway, there were many many more. But, uh, you know, Bourne really, he pulled it off and he just had that. You could just see he was just a nasty guy when he was doing the cloud and he loved it. He just loved being that heel and did a, a great job. So uh, Doink is uh, appearing in uh, on Raw in this episode uh, facing Coco Beware, which uh, you know that Coco wasn't real happy about uh, doing this match, especially you knew that Doink was going to go over. And it only lasts, it's like an under two-minute match. So to me, that's the upside of it. But, you know, nobody likes to, not that Coco wasn't a guy that uh, wasn't willing to, to, to work, you know, and, and uh, uh, go the one, two, three, or whatever they wanted him to do. But at the same time, you don't want to be humiliated because then it, it affects your, uh, your character. It affects you being Coco Beware as one tough SOB, which he was, believe me. Um, you know, so... Uh, they wanted to have superstars out there. That was kind of the point that they wanted to have a name out there to push Doink. If Doink defeats Coco, then he must be, um, you know, someone to be reckoned with. So uh, that is one of the matchups. And um, also on this card, the narcissist Lex Luger, which uh, keep in mind when this is, this is March of 93. And if you uh, remember the history about uh, all this and, and Lex Luger, um, he had been with the WCW uh, when he uh, had uh, uh, parted ways with them. Um, he was still under, I guess, you know, I guess you call it a non-compete back then, where he couldn't just go to the WWF. He couldn't just go up there. And uh, what they did was is uh, Vince worked out a contract with him because he wanted to take advantage of him as a personality. And this is when WBF was going on. Uh, they were really pushing WBF and, uh, Eco Pro, uh, as you know, the supplement company, 
And so Vince had this this vision, this idea that uh, they would put Lex under contract to get him. And of course, you know, Lex was a tremendous physical specimen. So there's a great crossover there between bodybuilding and, and wrestling. And what they would do is they'd have him under contract to the WBF. And he, he appeared on that show, Body Stars, which I did a lot of stuff for. And uh, he was, you know, would go to arenas so they could get him out there. He would help sell the WBF and then, uh, you know, do pose downs. And eventually they'd bring him into the fold with, with the WWF and uh, wrestling. Well, uh, during that stretch, Lex goes down on a motorcycle and uh, messes up his arm pretty damn bad. That puts him out of action for a while. And uh, so by the time he recovers, uh, WBF is no more. It's by 93. That's, that's uh, pretty much a done deal. But he's ready to wrestle. So what do they do? They bring him in as the narcissist. And uh, if you remember, that didn't work out so well either. Uh, because many believed he was a narcissist at the time. Uh, but uh, as far as pulling off this this gimmick, eh, it didn't work so well as uh, neither did the, the, the one following. But uh, that's what they were doing here. They, they were going full-blown with the narcissist which, uh, you know, uh, Lex had come in full-time as a wrestler and had uh, debuted at the Royal Rumble uh, in January. So he had not been, like we're talking March, so he had not been uh, traveling around with this gimmick for very long. And uh, so uh, in March, he is still the narcissist stepping into the ring, and he takes on uh, P.J. Walker, about a three-minute match, which, of course, he will destroy P.J., and then we see the Steiner brothers, who, boy, uh, one of the you know, toughest tag teams ever to step into the ring. And uh, no matter what you're doing in there, <laughs> they were known to be a bit stiff. Uh, that's pretty much uh, uh, well documented. And, uh, you know, there are a few, few people that can hang with them, uh, people like the Nasty Boys or the Legion of uh, Doom, uh, the Road Warriors. Uh, but the Steiner brothers are at the Manhattan Center on this evening taking on Barry Hardy and Dwayne Gill, two very recognized enhancement talents. And I will call them enhancement talent. They weren't jobbers because these guys knew what they were doing, and they, they worked a lot. They worked a lot for the, the WWF. So there you have it. That's this show coming up. And let's get to it. As I said before, you needed to get this queued up. Uh, easy to do. You just go to the WWE Network, go to In Ring. Raw is one of the first icons you see on there, and you click on that, and then uh, do the drop down there for 1993, and then you're going to go about seven episodes in as you go from the bottom up, and you'll find uh, uh, this episode, March 1st, 1993. Okay, so if you're not there, we're going to take a quick pause here, and uh, then we will go. So, uh, here we go. Take a pause. Get queued up. We'll be right back. Okay. So that means we're ready to go, right? You're all queued up. Awesome. As uh, we get set here to play Monday Night Raw, March 1st, 1993. Ready? Three, two, one, play. Then they just get right into it. At least when this one starts here. As Vincent, live from New York City. 
And Vince says, and I'm here with Macho Man Randy Savage and Elvis. And then Bar- uh, Bartlett comes in like, how are you doing, man? How are you going to this here? Uh, Vince, good as well. Uh, McMahon? I know. Anybody could do Elvis, right? Well, Brett, uh, Brett the Hitman Hart is uh, in the ring now as uh, we have the appearance of Elvis at ringside, a sighting. And uh, you will see him in just a moment. But we're getting right into this. As you see, there's uh, Fatu and Afa. I got the shrunken head in there. I don't know that they came away with it. There he is, Elvis. How you doing, man? Good to see you, brother. And you got to think Randy, Randy Savage going like, what, what the hell? Oh, so <laughs> Randy's like, yeah, it's going to happen to anybody. Yeah, and and Vince is like, uh, okay, well, let's move on as Brett puts the sunglasses on a kid at ringside. And he's got something with his schmoz there, like his nose there. It's got a big, must uh, from some uh, injury. Ooh, a good plug for Slim Jim. And Fatu in the ring. That's uh, Bret Hart. Ready to go a few minutes here with Fatu. Yeah, that's not a good shot of his nose there. I wonder what happened, man. He must have taken some shot. And there's Afa. Yeah, I, I, you know, I wonder how old he is at this point. I, we could do the math, but uh, say ninety three. And uh, you've got uh, see, Afa was born in forty two. So yeah, he was up there, man, and. Uh, He's like in his 50s at this point, right? As a, uh, you know, starting to plug WrestleMania, which uh, we're very close to at this point. WrestleMania 9. And then, of course, Bartlett has to make reference to Brett's nose, which has always got one of those things. Yeah. That was the thing. Like, Rob would say stuff. Because he didn't know the business, you know, that he would he would say things that you just kind of knew if you were around, you know, there's things you just didn't do, you know, like you're always putting the guys over. You wouldn't, not say you wouldn't say a negative comment, but you could say a negative comment that put them over. You didn't put a, you didn't say a negative comment that put them in a bad light. And he would do that all the time. And I could just imagine Vince just going, uh, geez, but you couldn't fault the guy. He wasn't smart really to all the goings-on behind the scenes, and that was supposedly the way Vince liked it, but you knew there were moments where he was just going, oh, man, that wasn't good. That GoPro, uh, uh, strategically placed for that shot, of course, because they're still pushing it. 
They're still trying, even though for the most part it was uh, not going anywhere. These guys are just tough, man. Tries that uh, shoulder block there. Down goes Fatu. What is Vince talking about? Afa was about 20 feet away <laughs> from... Said he tripped him up at ringside? What, what watch is he matching? Or what match is he watching? And uh, Elvis is hungry. Body slam, but uh, Brett holds on and brings him over with a drag. Arm drag there. And you can get away with it. Remember that you can't do an arm bar now. Imagine somebody doing an arm bar for more than five seconds. People are like chanting, boring, boring. Misses with a big right there. Ducks down. That's a mistake. Oh, man. That was a great kick, though, right? Wow. Wow. That was a. Yeah, that was a good shot, man. Thought two was pretty limber. Wow. I want to see that kick in slow motion. That was that was a good one, man. Sends him into the ropes. That was a reverse, but oh man, clothesline there takes Brett down. Yeah, Fatu uh could uh went a little snug, I I'd say here and there, wouldn't you? After <laughs> watching some of this. And uh, Elvis witnessing uh, his first episode of Monday Night Raw. Uh, as, uh, Afa. Uh, now, as you know, the, the uh, Fatu was uh, teamed up with uh, with the Head Shrinkers. He, the, they had the tag team going. And that why that's why Alpha had the the uh, the small head there because they were head shrinkers. You know, the quite sure how that went over. Forearm right to the top of the head. I'm just a little surprised that uh, Rob didn't have more uh, as far as what he was going to do with the character once he was uh, appearing on the show. <laughs> it's just kind of Elvis watching a wrestling match. And uh, he would occasionally, uh, he, you know, do a, a, a bunch of different outfits. As Fatu tries a very weak cover there. Uh-oh. Uh, Samu, the other half of the head shrinkers. Oh, and out goes Brett in some very dangerous territory. Samu starting to work on Bret Hart as uh, the referee Hebner is (laughs) 
distracted. So, uh, boy, they're doing a great job distracting him. The, the referee doesn't even see one thing that's happening. As we take that commercial break, and we can only imagine that the onslaught just continued by Samu as Brett struggles to get back to his feet. And now Fatu continues the offense here. And we believe that Dave Hebner uh, didn't say a damn thing as they were beating the crap out of Brett as uh, Afa kept him distracted and Samu just continued to beat the crap out of him. Brett, man, he would go into those like, those corners so freaking hard. And I'm hungry. Yeah. A little backbreaker there. And again, yeah, well, at least Vince admits that. A little sloppy. Brett, a little scratch on the chest there. Hard into the corner again. Hmm. Oh, the headbutt. And uh, we can hardly imagine how he's holding on because of the beating he took. We were wondering where Samu was. Well, he was waiting for an opportunity to come out and wreak havoc. The trainer. And the macho man, Randy Savage, would continue to make comments here. You got to listen uh, closely, but, you know, playing off of Bartlett and, uh, uh, he he says, kind of follows the thing here. He said, you know, that could happen. That could happen to anybody. And he they mentioned uh, before about his, uh, you know, him losing Priscilla, Elvis losing Priscilla, and them getting divorced. And uh, Randy says, it could happen to anybody. And, uh, you know, 92, Randy and, and Liz had been divorced. So, uh, you know, a little reference there voluntarily by Randy. (laughs) This is a good match. A little little, uh, juice on this one between the nose. He's got a cut on his chest. And uh, (laughs) Bartlett's seen this calamity since I made... The movie, Clamp <laughs> Side suplex there by Brett. Getting uh, squashed there on the side of that massive human being, Fatu. Going to the second rope. Another headbutt as he goes in for a cover. And this is for the title, remember, guys. Randy's saying, you know, uh, he's got a lot of respect for the hitman and what he's going through. Now, 
Fatu trying to go all the way up to the top. Oh, oh that was uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, man, that, that took a lot. That wasn't, uh, you got a whole lot of help from Fatu on that. No, kicks out. Well, the bulldog there, and is this going to be enough to cover him? No, not going to do that with Fatu. That uh, injury on Brett's nose, that cut is opened up. And a backbreaker. Bret Hart taking control. Uh, he's going up the second rope. Drives that elbow right to the chin of Fatu. And Randy really putting uh, Brett over in this encounter. Stepping across, trying to lock in the sharpshooter. Trying to roll him over. And Hebner distracted again, and in comes Samu to break it all up as he rolls out. Wait a minute. little little switch here. And Hebner, <laughs> all right, uh, all right, we're stretching, we're stretching uh, the illusion here that, <laughs> but Hebner was great at it. That was, he was great. It was as ridiculous as you may have th- thought it was. And uh, Brad, a little something for everybody here as he's got. It's he locks in the sharpshooter as you've got, I believe, Samu locked up in the, the ropes. And Brett's going to get the submission here over Fatu. And I like that. I like that finish. I like to, to lock up in the top rope there getting uh, hung. And Bret Hart uh, taking care of business, as Elvis would say, over... Fatu, Samu, and Afa. Come on, that was a good match. What do you think? I, I enjoyed it. I love that. Brett always delivered. As we wrap it up. And you've got Rob Bartlett eating, uh, because if we're going to talk Elvis, we've got to talk about the fat Elvis, right? Uh, what is this, mic off? Got a hot dog, yep. Yeah. So I was talking about before we got into this, you know, and I'm telling you, Rob is, he's really, he was a, he's a funny guy. Really. You could look up at some of his stuff on YouTube. He's very funny, but uh, that uh, just was not the right fit. As we say, WrestleMania nine. And you know, I'm going to like this. Gene. This this is a, a class right here in how to deliver a promo. 
Right, GoPro. We're still pushing it. The 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 the, the nerve. The... Look at this card, okay, for WrestleMania Nine. Money Inc. Of course, uh, Brutus teaming up with Hulk Hogan. As the Mega Maniacs with Jimmy Hart at, uh, as the manager there now, because remember he felt bad for Brutus, so now he's their manager. Gene, God, he was such a good salesman. All right? Didn't you want to buy tickets? I want to buy tickets right now. Okay, so let's here's here's some of the matches you can look forward to. We saw the. Uh, Mega Maniacs. We got the Giant working. And the Undertaker. You knew that wasn't going to be a very good match. This one, yeah, you knew this would be good. Tatanka, who was a great hand in the ring, and also HBK. Shawn Michaels. And the narcissist. Do you remember like Bobby could never say that? And I don't know if he was just playing or he just had a tough time with that. But uh, he would just destroy the name like Narcissus and Narcissist. And, <laughs> and look at how far down. Like they're not even, this should be the main event and it's not. And you guys remember what happened at WrestleMania 9. Uh, kind of a, 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 a WrestleMania that lives in infamy. One more thing. Oh. (laughs) So that was kind of cool the way they did this. You know, they obviously tried to make it so that, uh, you know, that interaction with these promos. No, it's good. I, I, they're always trying new stuff, and that was a uh, that was a way to my, you know make it not look so much like a staged uh, report that uh, it was actually being done live right there. I think they pulled it off. If I didn't tell you that they had taped that in Stanford, would you believe me? Okay, well, I just uh, kind of revealed the curtain there as they continue to push. We got uh, okay, and this is another one. Yeah, talking about how miserable it is in in Hawaii. All right, so we got, this is, remember, they continue to try and push Crush. Oh, he's going to show what's going to happen. Oh, boy.
So, uh, yeah, that was another pre-tape. You probably didn't think so, but that would have been really tough to do in Hawaii. Even if they had it via satellite, it would have been tough to do. So all the timing on that had to be just right. Otherwise, it would look phony. And here comes Doink. He's the guy. <laughs> Look at his face like, what? Oh, what was that? Oh, I don't know. As uh, Doink makes his way to uh, ringside here. There's Howard Finkel waiting to do the announcement. Oh, he like wants to give this this young lady a, a present. No, nobody? No, no takers? No, he's not going to give it to him. Doink, look at that face. Yeah. He's just a he's just a wonderful, happy clown. See? He's just there to make people smile. No, you want it? Nope. Can't you can't have that either. And uh what's in the box? What could Doink the clown be hiding? Uh, come on, you know I was right though. Matt Bourne was the was was Doink. He was the best. And out to the ring uh, without Frankie and Coco. Beware. Get up off your feet. Coco, beware. Always a crowd favorite, man. He always got lots of People on their feet. Kids loved him. As Doink doesn't give him a chance to even get set and attacks him. Pound away right away. Just goes after that knee. Willing to do any low tactic. And Coco, as uh, Coco now, you know, obviously he's that knee. So he's done some damage to that knee and Doink going right after it, targeting it. And uh, puts him over there and locks it in. And this is a short one. Coco, beware. Won't get the submission. But obviously Coco struggling against Doink. Pound away on that leg of Coco Beware. It hasn't even gotten a chance to get real. Literally, his feet underneath him for this match is doink. Just continues to work away. And Coco just swinging, trying to get him away from him. Which is something, you know, naturally, that's what you try and do as he holds on. Continues to kick away. Coco in big trouble here. He's got to recover or find a way to regroup. Doink not giving him a chance. Just continues to smother him. Uh, What? That? That's the submission? Oh, Coco, I'm sorry. We never found out what's in the box, are we? Oh, okay. Elvis has got to go. Can't resist. If anybody you want to go up and mess with, would you go mess with Doink? 
Elvis says, come on, doink, I want to wanna have a little chat. I really love you. Oh, okay, so, well, uh, this guy seems like he wants to mess with me. He wants to see what's in the box. <laughs> what? Oh, as Doink says, I might just have something for you. If you want to, uh, if you want it, more than happy to give it to you. A little pie. Where do you think this is going? Oh, okay. Much to the... Much to the satisfaction of this crowd, which is going to mess up. I think they got more of a show to do here, so uh, it's going to be a little uncomfortable for Elvis. As they continue here on Monday Night Raw, live from New York City. And you don't want to miss this, a special interview coming up with Money, Inc., IRS and the Million Dollar Man. Sorry, I just had to wait. I had to stop there and listen to his lordship's voice. All Pro is all about, because we got a lot of this stuff in the warehouse and we got to get rid of it. So come on. Oh. I love these commercials. I'm glad they uh, kept these in here. Oh, yeah. Chips. Yeah. Don't you love those uh, Slim Jim ads? Chips. And Vince McMahon in the ring here with the tuxedo, uh, red tie. He knew how to dress. Always, right? Ted DiBiase and Mike Rotundo make their way to the ring. IRS. The current tag team champions. As uh, we're just a couple of weeks away from WrestleMania 9, where they're going to take on the Mega Maniacs. And amazingly, both Brutus and the Hulkster would uh, be gone not too long after WrestleMania. But right now, we're heading into uh, this big event. WrestleMania 9, as I mentioned, that would live in infamy forever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Ted DiBiase. Oh, it's in USA Today, of course. A very reputable paper, at least then. <laughs> oh. $730,000. Now, Ted would, you know, uh, always look for things that he could bring up as, uh, you know, that would kind of, he could 
intertwine in his uh, interviews and he's, as he's doing here from a legit article about the uh, American Express CEO. That's nothing now, though. These guys leave, right? They get millions and millions of dollars. Why can't we have a job that's that they pay you millions of dollars to go away? I'd love that. <laughs> I'll go away. Pocket change. So we got the big match coming up here. Is is uh, Irwin going to say anything here? He's just letting DiBiase handle it all. And uh, yeah, you know the uh, the story behind all this with uh, the Hulkster coming back and helping out his friend. Brutus Beefcake, who had been uh, coming back from that incredible injury that he had uh, in the parasailing accident. And, and they would be fine. Even though they didn't stay with the WWF, they would be just fine. They both would go and make uh, some money down south. You know, Hulkster reignited his career. And, uh, you know, coming up, I think we're going to do some of the nitros. I think they're going to be fun because uh, I've been doing a lot of research on it, have doing some interviews. And uh, it's it's fascinating during that whole period of time as uh, the two shows, Nitro and Monday Night Raw, would go head-to-head. And uh, for a, a good extended period of time, you had uh, Eric Bischoff, and he would steer the company, WCW, into uh, to great heights, to new great heights, and, and making a ton of money as they uh, raised the bar of professional wrestling forever. So, um, I think we're going to do some of those. But there was this was a very interesting time in in uh, professional wrestling, as things were not great for business with the WWF, and they were struggling to find uh, new talent and uh, new people to push the next generation, if you would. And it would be a few years before that would happen when we'd see the emergence of, you know, people like Triple H and The Rock, of course, and Steve Austin. Here they're still kind of relying on some of the uh, guys that were, you know, I'm not going to say old, but talent that had uh, done very very well for the WWF in the late 80s and the early 90s. But at this point, it, things are really changing, and they're going to start to change fast in the next couple of years. And by 96, it would really take off uh, as they went head-to-head and, WWF would be would reel uh, be reeling for you know a number of years at this point, but as we saw it, it things did change. Ted DiBiase, man, still you know great at cutting promos, no question about it. I don't know why he's sweating so much. It didn't work. It's been hot in there. Yep, bring your togas. All right. What about the odds? Oh. 
Uh-oh. The odds are against you. Well, there you go. You got to bring in that uh, gambling reference. Got the uh, briefcase with the picture of Hulk Hogan on it. Everybody had those briefcases, and that was a big popular thing then, those aluminum Halliburtons. And perfect segue. You know, and uh, they would make these promos, you know, big time. They, would, uh, they wouldn't use, you know, somebody like Gene or, you know, for these big, they would get uh, big, strong voiceover talents. Not that Gene Oakland didn't have a strong VO, but they wanted, you know, something, another voice that wasn't recognized with the WWE. Well, the Rosati sisters, constant foils for Bobby Heenan. As uh, we all wait with great anticipation as the narcissist now makes his way to the ring. And uh, yeah, looking good, Lex. I hated that music, though. I, like, I never understood. Like, what the, what? What's with that music? That's not exactly posing music, is it? And they had the uh, t- they had the double sided mirror, that where he could admire himself. Anyway, know that we we know that uh, Lex did think a lot of himself. There's no question about that. But he was quite the physical specimen. As he uh, casually makes his way up to the ring, and uh, once again they show that lady, <laughs> assuming an awful lot. She thought there was nothing about him that she liked. Who knows? As you've got uh, Lex Luger taking on P.J. Walker in this matchup. Actually, going to give him a little time in this match. I mean, uh, you know, they're really trying to push Lex, uh, you know, as he has made it. Oh, man, that is just not a... that. I tell you, this is uh, more humiliation. That's uh, one of the things they love to do. Vince loved the pies in the face, the cakes in the face. But I couldn't have been uh, real comfortable with that uh, whipped cream pie uh, continued to crystallize on his face. And the narcissist, uh, let me, I'm going to make a big guess here and... Uh, Say that we're going to see about uh, two and a half minutes worth of uh, destruction of uh, P.J. Clark here. Sends him really hard into that corner. And when they did these squash matches, uh, you know, depending on a guy's level of of how he could work, but they didn't take it easy on them, uh, really. I mean, really, just really hard into the, the corner there. Oh, Bobby Heenan. On the line from Beverly Hills. A going away party. And uh, Bobby Heenan uh, talking about, you know, they used to do episodes, he was talking about All-American, but they used to have him and, and uh, Gorilla do, whenever they were doing events, in like a pay-per-view event or something, they, they would do primetime wrestling from wherever that location was. And, you know, there were episodes where they were on a, a boat, uh, if you guys will remember that. 
and those are those are pretty uh but <laughs> and Heenan's saying you know that's not Elvis that's George Steinbrenner so no okay well Bobby Heenan's saying that he's there with Priscilla. <laughs> So they got Bobby Heenan calling in. Remember, this is a live show, so they do have him on the phone. So he's watching. But I like the way they brought in these different elements. So it's kind of cool that, you know, they'd get people on the phone. They would do these uh, videos where, you know, try and do some interaction. And it was, you know, I thought it was, I, I liked the way they brought these elements into it. And then they made them work. Sure, that was a live phone call. Lex continues to dismantle PJ Walker. So Bobby uh, plugging All American Wrestling says Priscilla. Bobby, and just uh, oh, he's going to be able to pin the guy with just his pinky. There you go. That's how easy it is for the narcissist. And they tried everything with Lex, and they would eventually bring Bobby in on it, and uh, that gimmick was just not going to work. And people were just kind of, eh, yeah, whatever. And then, of course, you know, they followed it up with the, you know, the Enterprise. Uh, the They tried the big uh, All-American gimmick when he, was the only one who could body slam Yokozuna as they uh, did that in uh, in New York, New York City. Remember, they had him come in on a helicopter, and that was something else they just couldn't make happen. A typical American male. As this kid just is like, okay, is this almost over? It's pounds away. And, you know, I've got to go one last pose because he can't get enough. Oh, boy. All right, so uh, we just got to see a brutal pound down. We'll get ready for more because we got the Steiner Brothers. And the Steiner brothers just, man, how long is this one going to last? Oh boy, this is, this is four minutes. As the Steiner brothers, uh, very popular. Of course, they're big in the WCW, and uh, for their stint they had with the WWF. They love those uh, Letterman jackets they would wear. And uh, boy, look look at those mullets. Those are uh, Hall of Fame mullets for sure. Business up front, party in back. Boy, look at these guys. They're just monsters. Just, God, just, man. Yeah, Scott Snyder starts it off. 
And and Vince talking about that uh, upcoming match with the Steiner brothers and the head shrinkers. As we saw earlier, we saw Fatu. And boy, Samu of the head shrinkers going to take on these guys. So we got a little plug. That going. Oh, boy. Ow. Belly to belly. All right. Now it's... uh... Oh, boy. Not going to end well. No. Oh, yeah, you're so smart. Scott Steiner helps uh, Gil back into the ring. Is that Gil or is that Hardy? See who that referee is? Dangerous Danny Davis. Don't know if you caught that, but as Bobby goes out, he's uh, saying, Priscilla, (laughs) get back here or whatever. Oh, Bobby. But I I liked when they did that stuff. That was was fun. That added a little different element to it, having people call in. As the narcissist finishes off his opponent with a mere finger, just a mere finger, that's all it would take because he's so, so awesome. And, man, you got to admit it, uh, Lex Luger was uh, in just tremendous shape then. What a specimen. But he's not done with this guy yet. He's got to rub it in a little bit more. Says, no, no, you can't be out yet. I need you. And this sends him flying out of the ring. As that guy uh, took the short straw on that one, P.J. Walker. It's like, okay, how much longer got to do this? You can see he's got... A little blood in the mouth from that uh, forearm he took from Lex. And, you know, there was, uh, they, they actually played it up because uh, when he was in that motorcycle accident, that they say he had to have a plate put into his forearm and that he would use that against his opponents. As he gets done and dispatches P.J. Walker there. And look, you can't take it all in, folks. Just take it all in. And uh, now, you know, you just saw that beat down there. Well, get ready for more because now you got the Steiner brothers coming up. 
Rick and Scott. As uh, the action continues here, this is the last matchup here on this episode of Raw. Steiner Brothers facing Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy. As uh, there's Rick, there's Scott. As they come out in their uh, Michigan Letterman jackets, because, you know, they were amateur wrestlers for the University of Michigan. Although I don't think they looked like that when they were wrestling at Michigan. Barry Hardy and Dwayne Gill. Unfortunately, ready for a little snug wrestling here. (laughs) So here we go. And it is Scott in first. These guys are just monsters, man. Oh, boy. And a takedown. And I believe that's Barry Hardy who uh, ended up going in first. And he's going to take the brunt of this uh, beat down by Scott and Rick. Yes, Rick will get his chance. But uh, they're, the way these guys would, uh, you know, perform in the ring was legendary as far as, you know, people going in there. And it was, uh, they they didn't pull any punches on many, on many an occasion. And uh, a lot of a lot of tag teams didn't like going in. Body to, or belly to belly there, a suplex. But uh, a lot of tag teams didn't like going into the ring with them because they didn't want to get hurt. And it wasn't necessarily pain-wise, but they didn't want to have their their ability to work jeopardized. So they would get a lot of heat, but there were other guys that could care less than people like the Nasty Boys who loved to mix it up, uh, LOD or Road Warriors, as they probably faced many times down in uh, down at the WCW. But during their, their stint here, they've got a couple of good years in with the WWF, as Rick's in there now. I bet Vince didn't even know who these guys were, guys were either. Although Dwayne Gill, uh, he he got uh, a lot of work with the WWF. He's not in there right now. I believe that's Hardy. But just, uh, oh, yeah, that that was fun. As Danny Davis looks on the referee, dangerous Danny Davis. And back in the corner. And now Dwayne Gill checks in. Woo! Yeah, that was a... Big backdrop, backbreaker. Look at these two, man. Drops that elbow as the Steiner brothers uh, would uh, eventually become tag team champions. And they got an appearance at WrestleMania. Gets the head shrinkers, as we saw. Fatu. Samu, uh, the head shrinkers, uh, would be uh, facing them in a few weeks' time at WrestleMania. And they would eventually take the tag team belts from Ted DiBiase and IRS, Erwin R. Scheister. That's now Scott. Drop kick. Down goes Gill. Gets a foot up on the rope, but uh, no need at this point. <laughs> Now, this one's going to be over pretty soon here. 
Although they this would go about four minutes, so they did get a chance to go for a few. They had some time left over as the show timed out. Remember, this was live, so you had to hit all of your time cues and be out at the right time on the USA Network. Tag made again. In comes Scott. He wants uh, his shot. And this is going to be over real quick here. Oh, man. Yeah, folks love it. Heard them some more. <laughs> Into the ropes. Boy. So many things to go wrong with a move like that, especially if you know somebody's really experienced. He gets the three count. As the Steiner brothers victorious once again, and they got to do it right here on Monday Night Raw. There's a Frankensteiner with uh, well known for their moves. And that gear, that's, you know, like uh, the real uh, amateur wrestling, at least the body style of those outfits they wore. And uh, here's one of those, uh, they, they actually got, you know, some production for a real commercial that would air. A new sighting, new reason to rise and shine. This was the WWF Mania, hosted by Todd Pettengill. Get it all. He's going to go over. There goes Dad. Saturdays, 10 a.m., 9 Central. Elvis had to endure the rest of the show with the whipped cream drying on his face. I don't think Elvis would make another appearance, at least on Raw. What about it, Elvis? And there's your uh, (laughs) clever answer. He just wants to get the hell out of there and get a hot towel. Hot, wet towel. And sorry, uh, I don't know what you had to say. And he's going to finish it off with some popcorn, but missed. And there you go. All right, I don't know where you'd uh, rate that one as far as uh, for going one to ten, what you'd give it. Maybe, uh, I don't know, six or seven maybe, right? As the, that uh, episode Wraps up here, uh, another WWE Network classic here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. Uh, you know, a lot a lot going on at the time with the WWF then, as I uh, mentioned at the top of this. Uh, but, uh, you know, a live show. This is a live, live uh, show from the Manhattan Center that March 1st, 1993. As we uh, had Rob Bartlett dressed up as Elvis throughout the show. <laughs> And uh, Doink the Clown uh, puts a a whipped cream pie in his face. And then he had to sit there for the rest of the show with that uh, whipped cream drying. And (laughs) it's like, oh, boy. Uh, I want to thank our uh, source here for our notes, blogofdoom.com, blogofdoom.com. Any show you really want to find out about it, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, Superstars or uh, Wrestling Challenge or... or, uh, also, um, uh, primetime wrestling, 
and of course Ron. I mean everything that they uh, they've watched these shows and, and made notes on them, and some really interesting information in there. But uh, this was a pretty star-studded uh, episode because you got a, a, a great match. At least I thought it was a good match with Bret Hart uh, facing Fatu of the Head Shrinkers with Afa at ringside, and of course Samu coming out and causing trouble. And that was a match for the WWF Championship. And then we got to see Doink, Doink the Clown, who uh, I, I just thought was with Matt Bourne. It was uh, it was a great gimmick. It was really really over. I mean, he played such an evil ass clown. He was he was just nasty. And I think that that could have gone on for quite some time. And he you know wouldn't maybe no not a main event, but uh, Upper Carter for sure. And people uh, really got into it. It's just that when when uh, Bourne. Left the WWF, uh, and they they tried to keep it going. That uh, it just was never the same. Nobody really had that uh, that nastiness about them, and the and the ability in the ring that that Bourne had, and uh, how he would just devastate people, and then just be you know the, the pranks and stuff he played. Uh, he really really pulled it off. And uh, it's interesting though. It's he he would go. Uh, you know, after he left the WWF, though, he, you know, he would come back and start wrestling again in some of these independents and, you know, other organizations. And he, and he kept the, uh, the doink uh, character. I was kind of surprised that he got away with that because, um, you know, um, something that the WWF came up with. Uh, and so for him to be able to take that other places. And then you've heard, I'm sure, many times there was always there was a doink somewhere. I mean, somebody was doing the gimmick. But maybe it was just not worth the time or the hassle to try and go after these guys and tell them not to do it. Who knows? But they uh, also, of course, they couldn't resist having little people involved. They have the, you know, with uh, uh, they had Dink. Remember they they had that uh, with Dusty Wolf, I believe, played played Dink, and that you know they had some fun with that. Uh, and they went, you know, they remember they had a whole thing where they had a bunch of them running around and. Yeah, they they milked it for as much as they could. But after uh, Matt Bourne left, and and they had all these other people come in and try and replicate what he was able to do, it just was never the same. It didn't work. So uh, really, though, I like seeing Doink in his prime there. Uh, the narcissist Lex Luger. It was a short-lived gimmick. It didn't uh, didn't boy. Well, it was just was not good. It did not go over well. And it's funny because the narcissist, you had Lex Luger, who was this physical specimen. I mean, he was. I mean, he had the, the body of a bodybuilder. And it, it just didn't go over. But you had people, and he would say, you know, look at this and the whole thing. Uh, and on the other hand, you had somebody like Mr. Perfect, who certainly wasn't wasn't that he didn't have a, a great physique, but it wasn't the ripped and cut. And yet he pulled that whole persona off that I'm just perfect. I'm, you know. So it's it all depends on who it is, Right that uh, can do things, you know, that can really sell. That's basically what it comes down to. And it just never happened with uh, the narcissist, Lex Luger. It just uh, didn't work. Um, and then we got to see the Steiner brothers Steiner brothers in action, Rick and, and Scott. Uh, boy, they were just a devastating pair in the ring. And I know that Scott, man, he's still, still stepping in the ring these days. Uh, uh, Scott doing, uh, you know, working with the NWA and had done some stuff with them too and still still doing it. Uh, the guy's just amazing. So uh, there you have it, that episode of Raw, Monday Night Raw. It was live from New York City, March 1st, 1993. I hope you enjoyed it. And as I said, I think we're going to try and do some uh, 
episodes of Nitro. I don't know if it'll be next week, but um, I want to do a few of those because, like I said, I've been doing some research, doing some homework on it, and just a fascinating time because this was that period. Now, we're talking 93, and, of course, you know, the wars really wouldn't kick into gear until, like, 96 when the NWO, NWO came along. But uh, but a lot was happening at this point in time, and uh, a downtime for the WWF as they tried to uh, regroup and and find new directions. And you know, of course, you had the uh, the uh, steroid scandal, and uh, business was not good. House shows were down, and it was just kind of this uh, turnover of talent. They're trying to bring new talent in, and nothing would work. And they had uh, the other guys that had uh, worked really well for the WWF, and then they're departing. They're they're uh, heading south down to the WCW, and uh, you know, so it was just a really really interesting time. So I think we're going to try and do a couple of those early nitros. We're going to throw in there, and I, I'm anxious to see it uh, because at the time I never had a chance to watch it. I just I didn't. I had too much going on, and and uh, you know, of course, as the later years would come, but that's when things really started rolling. But this is. The time when it's really starting to, uh, uh, you know, uh, heat up a bit. It's starting, you know, the, the 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 foundation is being laid for what's coming next. So I'm looking forward to doing that. In the meantime, be sure and catch our network classics every Monday, and uh, also uh, tomorrow night, folks. Uh, we've got we're going to once again release prime time with Sean Mooney early because we are going to feature another uh, star from the NWA and, and uh, a wrestler who's got a tremendous uh, career behind him and uh, the journey that he's traveled. Uh, we're going to be uh, uh, talking with Eli Drake, a conversation I had with him recently. And we're going to release that early, a day uh, before, the night before, uh, you know, that NWA Power comes on. Uh, they uh, stream it uh, live at um, 6.05 p.m., on YouTube and at 7:05 p.m. Eastern we'll release this episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney with Eli Drake so be sure and catch that uh, you can catch it early uh, wherever you download your podcast from if it's iTunes we'd love to have you not only subscribe but give us a, a five-star rating if you like what you hear and also a review believe me it helps out a lot uh, so that we can continue to get sponsors and also uh, bring you great content. Uh, as I mentioned, we've got uh, you know these network classics coming on every Monday, and then Wednesday, uh, unless it's released early, like we're doing this week. But uh, every Wednesday, a, a brand new original episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney, and then we release the uh, Vault episodes every Saturday morning. We go back into the library and release an episode that perhaps you didn't get a chance to hear before. Uh, this uh, past week, we had uh, uh, Sid. And that uh, infamous episode, uh, are you laughing, Sean? Uh, <laughs> just to say it uh, frightens me to death. But uh, that's a great episode with with uh, Sid Udy. Um, and uh, catch that if you haven't heard it before. And then, of course, you know, like I said, we've got new stuff coming all the time. Check out our YouTube channel, too. We're putting up a lot of stuff. I'm doing more with video. And we're trying to do more Skype interviews where we actually are able to capture it on video. And when we do that, of course, well, they all go end up on YouTube. Uh, but to our, our Patreon members, you get that. Uh, you'll get it first, just like we do. Uh, you know, you always get everything early and ad-free. Uh, but with Patreon, now we're adding uh, the video element, and it will eventually end up on YouTube. But you can check out a lot of great content there on YouTube by uh, just going to YouTube and searching Primetime Mooney. If you'd like to be a Patreon member, just go to uh, patreon.com slash primetime mooney. That's Patreon. 
youtube.com slash primetime Mooney. Okay, I think I've plugged everything. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time, I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. <laughs>